Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 117. For those of you that don't know, by becoming a supporter of the podcast through Facebook, you will get access to the Mopar Hunters Association, which is an exclusive group for supporters of this podcast and the place where I post all the exclusive content for my supporters like bonus podcast episodes and bonus video content. By becoming a supporter, you will also be entered into our monthly giveaway of something cool that's Mopar related. As of today, at the end of 2021, there are 24 pieces of bonus content available exclusively to my Facebook supporters. There are 12 bonus podcast episodes and 12 bonus videos. In 2022, these will be released at minimum on a monthly basis. For more information about becoming a supporter, click on the blue subscribe button on the Talking Mopars podcast Facebook page. All right, my friends, it's the end of the year. And as a treat, I thought I'd give you guys a sneak peek of the 12 bonus episodes that are currently available only to supporters of the show. These are just some short clips from the first 12 bonus episodes. I hope you enjoy them. Happy New Year, my friends. Stay safe, have fun, and we'll talk again in 2022. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. If you're a car enthusiast like me, then you'd probably enjoy the same books that I do. I love to gain more knowledge about Mopars and cars in general, and that's where my friends at CarTech Books come in. Since 1993, CarTech has become one of the leading publishers of automotive titles for hardcore enthusiasts, with a plethora of titles available in their catalog. They have titles for everyone, whether you're into restorations, high-performance builds, or automotive history, CarTech has it all. They are a company run by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. Some of the titles I have in my own library are... Chrysler's Motown Missile, Mopar's secret engineering program at the dawn of Pro Stock, new Hemi engines 2003 to present, how to rebuild, muscle car special editions, Chrysler Torquefly A904 and A727 transmissions, how to rebuild. And look, folks, they have much more than that, and so do I. In my library, I also have books on how to vinyl wrap, modifying XJ Jeep Cherokees for back when I had one of those, and modifying the new Wranglers and Gladiators, and many more. So whether you're looking to expand your knowledge or just want something cooler to put on your coffee table, CarTech has the books for you. Visit CarTechBooks.com and find some awesome books to add to your collection today. Before we get into the juicy meat of this episode, I have to ask you guys a question. Is your Mopar protected? Whether it's sitting outside in the elements or inside the safe confines of your man cave, it's important to keep your Mopar protected. That's why I'm excited to announce that I'm now affiliated with a company offering an amazing solution for vehicle protection. They have everything from basic indoor shields all the way to the top of the line platinum shields, offering the very best protection to keep your vehicle safe both indoors and outdoors from elements like dust, water, snow, and even UV rays. Their products are guaranteed to fit and are backed by a great warranty. To find out more about my new affiliate, please visit TalkingMopars.com, click on the Affiliates tab, and follow the link to their website. If you need protection for your Mopar, don't worry, we got you covered. I have always loved pickup trucks, and I really love sporty pickups or muscle trucks. And that's exactly why I have the Mr. Norm Tribute truck, because I love trucks. Mopar is definitely no stranger to sport pickups when you consider the Warlocks, 
Little Red and Midnight Express trucks of the 70s, the Shelby Dakotas of the late 80s, the Dakota and Durango RTs of the 90s and 2000s, of course, the SRT-10, and of course, we have to mention the latest performance truck offering from Dodge, the supercharged TRX, which is absolutely awesome. That's the Raptor killer. I would also have to kick my own ass if I failed to mention what I would consider to be the front runner of all Mopar sport trucks, and that would be the CSS and HPP swept lines of the early to mid 60s. I would love to find one with a 426 street wedge in it. I think that would be amazing, but they are super hard to find. I've only seen one in person and it was bad ass. Very cool trucks. The SRT 10 would officially be the first production Dodge truck to utilize the 8.3 liter V10 out of a Dodge Viper. And how awesome it is to have a Dodge Viper engine in between the frame rails of a Ram 1500. And that's exactly what the SRT 10 was. Maybe you're like me and you have no problems driving a shitbox with a nice rake, a cool set of wheels, some fat tires, loud pipes, and a really effed up interior. That's me. I think, <laughs> I think my spirit animal is Joe Dierte. <laughs> you know what I mean? But as long as it runs and drives good enough, you should consider it good to go. And that's what my definition of fully restored is. So I have my project shitbox boogie van undergoing a full restoration right now. But you know what I really wish? I wish it was a real YH3 code van. For those of you that don't know this already, if the fender tag on your van says YH3, then that, my friends, is the code for a legitimate street van. So in 1976, Dodge wanted to capitalize on the van craze that was taking the country by storm at the time. And they did so by offering a van that was pretty groovy right off of the showroom floor and right off the lot. But it also had a ton of customizable options. For those of you that don't know, in 1978, the Little Red Express was literally the fastest vehicle from zero to 100 miles an hour. And that was a test done by Car Driver Magazine. And um, no other American-made vehicle could go zero to 100 as fast. How crazy is that, right? And you're probably wondering, well, how's that even possible, Chris? How's the truck beating cars like, you know, in 78? What did they have in 78? They had Camaros and Corvettes, uh, Trans Ams. Well, the thing is, is there was a loophole in the emissions regulations and the 1978 Dodge Little Red Express did not have to necessarily meet those regulations. It didn't have to live up to those standards. So it didn't have catalytic converters and it did have a high performance 360 four barrel small block. And it was basically a tuned up version of the standard 360. So it had a police package on it. And the truck only put out 225 horsepower at 3,800 RPMs, but that was enough to take out many, actually, you know, what am I even talking about? All of the other American-made vehicles that were out in 1978 from zero to 100. So the truck was no joke. It was the long-anticipated answer to the Chevy Corvette from Dodge. And, you know, with a name like the Viper, <laughs> you know, Viper was unlike any other car produced in America. And, you know, I say that because the styling was just so, 
so nasty. It was such a nasty car. When it came out, I just remember seeing one and just going, my God, what is that? That is cooler than any Lamborghini, any Ferrari, any Corvette. It was just, when it comes to exotic sports cars, the Viper to me still takes the cake. And I think it's just me being a Mopar guy and going, all right, I'd rather have a classic muscle car than, you know, I'd rather have a Hemi Cuda than a Lamborghini. Okay. But when it comes to, you know, somebody said, hey, Chris, you have to have an exotic sports car. What's it going to be? I'm going to have to go with the Viper, obviously, right? Just when I thought the Viper couldn't get any cooler, Dodge has to hit me with the GTS Coupe, and, you know, the blue with white stripes. That car was just, <laughs> you know, the original Viper was cool and the GTS was even cooler. Nineteen seventy was without a doubt a great year for Mopars. It was the first year that Chrysler Corporation actually entered the pony car market to battle it out with all of the other American offerings that had already been in production and that were already hitting the streets. So one has to ask, was Chrysler late to the pony car party? I would say sure. In fact, I would absolutely say yes, for sure. How crazy would the muscle car market have been if the E-Body Challengers and Barracudas had been released just a few years earlier? I think the whole game would have been changed. I can tell you one thing. There would be far more E-Bodies out there today to buy, which would, you know, affect the market for E-Bodies today. That might be a good thing, too, because if there were more of these cars produced, perhaps the prices today would be just a little bit more reasonable than they are, you know, with higher production numbers that would mean that either more cars would have been scrapped or there would be more for us to find in yards, backyards, under tarps, in barns, in sheds. You get the drift. You know, guys, in my opinion, 1968 was the year that Chrysler Corporation really cemented itself as the biggest threat to the other placeholders in Detroit when it came to performance cars. With the introduction of the Street Hemi in 66, it was about time that their designs started to match the attitude that was under the hood that was continuing to evolve into the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, it's no surprise that the second generation Dodge Charger is so coveted amongst Mopar enthusiasts and often regarded by many as the most beautiful car ever designed. We can thank Elwood Engel for that. His designs were so good, it's hard to call them anything but beautiful. The more appropriate term, in my opinion, would be muscular. These cars just looked badass. They looked fast standing still. At least I think so anyway. That's probably why I consider my favorite years for Mopar muscle cars to be 1968 to 1971. The designs were absolutely perfect in my eyes. 1968 would be the year that so many great things started to happen with Chrysler. The introduction of the newly designed Charger was absolutely, I mean... This could be debated, I guess, but one of the greatest things to happen in the automotive world in 1968, you know, along with crazy things like the Plymouth Roadrunner and the Dodge Super B. Hearst gets the darts, and Dodge had already done what they could to reduce the weight before they ever left the assembly plant. So when these darts got to Hearst, the darts lacked anything unnecessary for the mission of speed which was ultimately to stuff a 426 Hemi in between the fenders. So these darts had no carpeting, no consoles. They were outfitted with A100 seats, no window regulators, no heater, no armrests, no radio, no creature comforts of any kind. 
no creature comforts whatsoever not a creature comfort in the car <laughs> these darts were pretty bare bones when they headed to hearst they also lacked anything that wouldn't be needed for the hemi to be installed they could be had with either a 727 automatic or an a833 with either an eight and three quarter or a dana 60 depending on which transmission you went with obviously the four speed got the dana 60. even with dodge's weight saving efforts it still wasn't light enough for Hearst, so they gave it the old Weight Watchers treatment with a fiberglass front end, threw on some lighter bumpers, acid dipped the doors, and ditched the factory glass for lightweight Chemcore super thin glass. They even trimmed the rear wheel well openings to fit the slicks needed to have any traction whatsoever, and check this out, to roll down and up the windows, a repurposed seatbelt. I love Plymouth Barracudas, and I'm particularly fond of the 68s and 70-71s. I love the 68s because of the super stock Hemi Barracudas, and I love the 70-71s because they are just beautiful machines, some of my favorite cars to have ever been built. But if I had to choose between the three years, uh, 68, 70, and 71, I'd have to go with the 71. Now, there are things that I like about all of them, but the 71 edges out both of them hands down. For starters, the grill on the 71 looks like it could slice and dice you. That's why they call it the cheese grater grill. Then you have the fender gills. They aren't too crazy and they are not functional, but they definitely command your attention. And for such a relatively small detail, they sure do have an impact on the styling of the 71 Cuda. I love the grill of the 70, but the 71 you know, hands down edges it out. I do prefer the taillights of the 1970 over the 71, but the front end on the 71 definitely makes up for it. There is also something to be said about the 71 being the last year for the 426 Hemi. You know, guys, I've said it before and I will say it time and time again. There's something about a Mopar drag car that just resonates with me. I love them, period. That's all there is to it. The difference between the A12 cars and two of my other favorite factory Mopar drag cars, the super stock darts and Barracudas, is that the A12s were built for a dual purpose, street racing and drag racing, meaning that these cars could be purchased, registered, and driven on the streets, but they were also built for pure straight line performance. While I prefer the A12 Super B, both the Dodge and its Plymouth counterpart, the A12 Roadrunner, were pure badassery in their purest form. They were also the first Mopars to receive the now famous 446 packs and six barrels, utilizing an aluminum metal block intake and three Holly two barrel carbs. I like that if you were just cruising around, the center 350 CFM carb would be doing all the legwork, but as soon as you smashed the go pedal, the two outer 500s would come to life and the A12 would roar forward as if it was going to consume any competition in its path. <laughs> the crazy part is that the A12 option that you got got you an M in the fifth digit of the VIN and was only a $462.80 option. Since I became heavily invested in Mopar several years ago and dedicated most of my spare time to hunting them on Craigslist and in person, I have experienced these crazy similar dreams. Each one of these dreams involves me somehow finding an unrestored Superbird and attempting and on occasion successfully actually making a deal. There's only been three colors that have showed up in these dreams, Lemon Twist, Limelight, and Vitamin C Birds. 
all of these birds have been in various states of neglect when I find them, and all of them, coincidentally, have been owned by some elderly gentleman, you know, a different guy in each dream, um, and he expresses his interest to me that he would only let them go to somebody who's worthy of having them and that he would give them a hell of a deal. So <laughs> I guess it's safe to say that the Superbird is literally like my dream car because it's the one car that has shown up so many times in so many of my dreams. I love Daytonas and front wheel drive turbo Mopars in general, but because my dad had a Daytona and my time around it, the Daytona will always remain one of my favorite Mopars. I chose the 1990 because it had an updated exterior appearance compared to my own 87 Shelby Z. It retained the 2.2 turbo engine, which I am a huge fan of, and the interior was restyled, which modernized it a little bit, bringing it into the 90s. I would love to find a clean Daytona Shelby um, from 1990 someday, but they are increasingly hard to find in great shape, but you know, never say never. The alternate number nine is a modern Mopar. And to be honest, I'm actually surprised that a modern Mopar didn't make the cut for my top 10. I guess that just truly goes to show where my heart really lies when it comes to Mopars. That said, I absolutely love the modern era of Mopar muscle. And you might expect that a Hellcat or an SRT Demon would have made the list, but Surprise, the modern Mopar that I had in mind was the Challenger Scat Pack 1320. Early this year in 2021, I sold off <laughs> all my Mopar projects, which was two. I had a 69 Dodge Dart project, and then I had a 76 D100 on airbags project, and I, I let those go. I also sold off a huge stash of parts that I had for both the Dart and the truck. And I did that because I felt that I had lost motivation on them, you know, with everything going on with the podcast and just focusing on that. I had no time for my projects, but, you know, as I keep developing and evolving, I'm finding ways to schedule my time better. So now I, now I have some time, but um, I did feel like those projects were dead in the water. So what I didn't realize at the time when I let them go was that doing that would pave the way for me to acquire a truck that I had fallen in love with back in 2015 at the Good Guys Car Show in Puyallup, Washington. And as you know by now, that was the Mr. Norm truck. I told that story on the podcast, so I won't get into it here, but I believe everything happens for a reason. And by letting go of those two projects, I now have a truck that I have been chasing for several years in the Mr. Norm Tribute truck, and I'm, I'm a proud owner of it. And I look forward to owning it for several years and doing some cool stuff to it. Hopefully I'll own it forever. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that goes. I hope you guys enjoyed the sneak peek into the bonus content available exclusively to my supporters on Facebook. No Mopar left behind. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about the show, you know where to go, TalkingMopars.com. And you can reach me by emailing Chris at TalkingMopars.com or by leaving me a voicemail on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR, and you just might get to hear yourself on the show. So keep sharing those Mopar stories and anything else that is on your Mopar-addicted mind. 
Special thanks to my friends over at cartechbooks.com. Also, don't forget how important it is to keep your Mopar protected from the elements. If you need protection, don't wait. Head on over to talkingmopars.com, click on the affiliates tab, and go get your Mopar covered today. Before we ride off into the sunset, if you want some Talking Mopars merch like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and cool swag like that, check out the merch shop on TalkingMopars.com. And for exclusive bonus episodes and videos only for my supporters, become a Facebook supporter today and get immediate access to those benefits. There's 12 bonus podcasts and 12 bonus videos waiting for you right now. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, Happy New Year. I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. We'll see you in 2022. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.